0: I'm your host, Phil Schneider, author of Way of the Blade, 100 of the Greatest Bloody Matches in Professional Wrestling History, available now at Amazon. Uh, Please go buy my book. I am pleased to be joined by John Pozarowski, a podcast uh, emperor. He's got a huge podcast uh, network where he does all kinds of uh, things. I'm going to let him tell us a little about that and pre-plugs, and we are here to talk about probably the most well-known most watched match of my book it's certainly up there um but a great one bret hart versus stone cold steve austin wrestlemania uh, 13
1: so yeah john thanks for coming on no problem, Phil. Thank you for having me. Love the book; it's awesome. I uh, love every part of it, An honor to be uh, on with you. Known you from the uh, the old Death Valley Driver days, the old Dustin of the day days. So, uh, book awesome two to be on.
0: available sometime, hopefully in twenty twenty two, maybe twenty twenty three. Oh, Spoiler: awesome. Yes, <laughs> um, but yeah, we're gonna we're gonna go ahead and dust that off. The old Dustin of the days. Uh, we found a handful of them. We're gonna write some more. Me and Tom. And uh, that's for the X-Book. So I'll of well, you on to talk some Dustin when I start promoting that thing, for sure. Awesome. Um, but yeah, we're here to talk about it. So you, you picked this match. Why did you? Uh, what, did you what, what about this match sort of resonated
1: uh, to you? you know, it's funny. It wasn't my first choice because we were talking. I won't mention the, the match, but we were both at the match that I wanted to do. But for you know, different reasons, we decided to go a different direction. But that match is awesome. This match... And maybe it's more of a generic choice in, in a certain way. But I always feel like when people say, what is the greatest match of all time? Either despite saying WrestleMania matches, what's the greatest match of all time? To me, I, in my head, I'm always like, okay, Brett Austin. I always, match always pops off to me. And of course, the Austin 316, Blood from a Stone, Bret Hart literally doing the double turn. The match is literally perfection from two arguably of the greatest of all time. Brett is probably the greatest. To me, I was like, "Man, this just might be a little generic, might be obvious, but it is probably the best match." So immediately, when I was thinking of it, the first match that really came to mind, other than the other one that we were thinking of, right?
0: Sure, that we can say it, Homicide Carino, We were both at that. <laughs> I'm gonna, yes. I think I might. I, I don't do kayfabe on this podcast. I'm still hoping <laughs> I can get Homicide or Carino. If I can, I'll call you back and we'll do that one. Uh, yes. But this is a great. This is a. It's a great match. You know, it's I. I'm not a. I'm not a. I not a WWE, WF was the thing that. I first started watching wrestling, the very first wrestling I ever watched. But I'm I'm an NWA guy at heart when it comes to the things that really uh, really resonated with me. So as a match, it was like this wasn't the first thing that came to mind with me, either as the greatest match of all time or as really two of the greatest wrestlers of all the time. So when I rewatched it for the book, I really was, you know, in some ways almost surprised at how great I thought it was. Because I was kind of like, ah, you know, this is this WWE, this is the, you know, attitude era stuff, I think is really overrated. It's like, I'm sure this is fine, but I'm sure it's like, I'm sure, but then watching it, I was like, man, this is great. God damn, these guys are awesome. So I was imagine, really, when I watched it for the book, I think it, you know, my memory of it was not as rosy as the reality of watching it again, which I think is probably almost the opposite for a lot of people who kind of consider this sort of the apex of wrestling. I was a little older, so I was like, you know, this was, this was 1997, so I was already, you know, I was like in my early 20s, 21. So I wasn't like 14, where, you know, or like where, you could, where this is the thing that
1: kind of captures your heart. I was 14 You were actually. 14 I mean 14 yeah. is like 14 <laughs> the
0: sweet spot right So I was 14 and I was like You know that, that's like 1989, 1990 Right So it's like If you ask me what the Greatest Match of All Time I'm saying uh, It's Flair Steamboat Or Flair Funk Or something like that Right Right in the, the sweet spot Of your wrestling fandom um, At least in memory wise I think it probably My sort of generic answer For Greatest Match of All Time Is MS1 Sangre Chicana. I think is the one I say when if somebody asks me that, uh, but like as far as the one that like I have like childhood memories of, it's it's the flare stuff. Um, and this was a little later when I had already kind of started getting a little be a little bit of a smart mark and started to be you know, like get a little di- disillusioned by American wrestling and started really getting into Japanese stuff um so you know i it was a real rediscovery for me watching this, and you're right, we talked about Bret Hart, I think this is his greatest match, and he I think this is awesome obviously is the guy who comes away from this as the biggest star. In wrestling, one of the biggest stars in wrestling history. But I think this is a Bret Hart match. I think Bret Hart is watching it again and rewatching it for this podcast. I think it's just an absolute masterclass by him. He
1: is so great in this. Man, everything that he does is perfect. I love going back and just watching him because he's like the perfection. For the, the epitome of perfection for a wrestler. And I always listen to different interviews. Even uh, Kevin Nash, diesel was saying like, man, watch the way he breaks down a match. And you know, Nash isn't known for being like this great technician, but he's telling people like, watch how Brett breaks down a match, watch his psychology. He's like, he'll even break it off into like five minute spurts. or like, I'm doing this and we're working into this and, you know, we're, we're climbing the ladder. We're building to something. It's just, man, he is the, the masterclass. And to me, just everybody has had, like, their best match against him. I think this is Austin's best match. I think Owen had his best match against Brett. I think Perfect had his best match. Bulldog, Yoko, One Two Three Kid, Bob Backlum. I you mean, know, all these guys, I feel like, have had their best match against Brett.
0: Backlund? Backlund had a lot of great matches in the 70s and 80s, even though I'm not a, a giant Backlund guy. Oh, oh, you'd, so you'd take Backlund hard over like Backlund Greg Valentine or something like that? Maybe,
1: I maybe. Ooh. I don't know. I, I love that what the hell was it? Action Zone or whatever they they have that awesome match yeah. right before Backlund turns a heel working with the Bayfist. I don't know, I just love that match for maybe modern day Backlund, we'll say. Okay, sure. <laughs> well, that's definitely yeah, true. Yeah. I mean, I, I, <laughs> the Valentine match is awesome, yeah.
0: um, It's... uh. I think it's more than just execution. I, I mean, this is I think an incredibly tricky thing that these guys were trying to pull off in this match, right? The double Cause turn, Hart, yeah, Because yeah, Hart was had been, I mean, he'd been a, a the baby face in the WWF for I don't know for what at least four or five years at this point, right? Yep. Uh, um, and you know, and Austin obviously is, is started to be cheered, but wasn't a good. A good guy in the way that the WWF fans are accustomed to good guys being good guys, right? I mean, this was the first time you really had a guy like Austin doing this thing uh, here. I mean, kind of, you know. Otherwise, you had really had. I mean, a Hogan cheated a lot, but really, but you know, his persona and everything was of this kind of, you know, uh, all American '80s cartoon hero. And Hart was a lot like that for a long time, or you know, and Diesel when he turned. Uh, face, same sort of thing. And, as, and Austin didn't change his act particularly when he went from a baby face to heel. And Hart, as a guy for the setup to this match, and then through this match, getting more and more frustrated with the fact that he had done what everyone c- he was supposed to do and it wasn't working. He was just so good as like the guy... Is like the disgruntled NBA player who realizes that he kind of, who's going to kind of pout his way out of a situation. It was almost like what his shtick was with this whole thing, right? Where he's just like, I keep getting screwed on the title. People are starting to boo me. And you know, so he has this entire, the entire match is almost wrestled in a snit. Where he's kind of like got a pissed off look on his face and kind of like a, a real like, you know, like, well, you know what? You guys want me to do this? Fine, I'll fucking do it, right? You know, like, and yeah. he's just so good at that. For which is a completely different role for him. I mean, he didn't ever do this kind of even when he was a heel before that. It wasn't he, there wasn't a ton of nuance to Bret Hart as a hard foundation heel, right? Where this was an incredibly nuanced
1: match. Oh, it's unbelievable. The whole like setup to it is so good because everyone always assumes, okay, Austin 316, he says that promo, and then he's off to the races. That's not true. He won King of the Ring. He said Austin 316. Vince McMahon didn't even remember he said that. So Russo and a couple other guys have said even in interviews and backstage stuff that they wanted to do Austin 316 on the magazine and all this other stuff and give Austin like this big push. And McMahon barely remembered him saying that. So they're like, what? Like, don't you see the the signs in the crowd? Don't you? Like, Vince wasn't quite getting it. He didn't understand that. So they changed the magazine cover to something else that had to do with Austin. But it didn't say Austin 316. So then you have SummerSlam 96. So you think, OK, guy won King of the Ring. He's got to be on SummerSlam, right? No, he's in the pre-show match against Yokozuna, who was very overweight and aged at that point. And Austin wins by pure luck on the pre-show over Yokozuna because he basically slips and falls and, and, and falls right on his back. And Austin pins him and gets out of there. So it's like, wow, what are they doing with this guy? He's not doing much. All of a sudden, Bret Hart, who's been gone, Shawn Michaels' title run, is really kind of struggling at this point. NWO is totally killing him. It, WWF is really looking in a, in a bad way. They they re up Brett his contract which was rumored you know who, who knows what's going on behind the scenes but he didn't have a contract they bring him back they give him the deal he wants and then all of a sudden Austin and Brett starts kicking off Austin put the ass in front of Hitman that's my opinion of him starts dogging him starts ragging on him and we start the lead up to Survivor Series where you're going to have the conquering hero Bret Hart return and shut up this loudmouth Steve Austin except for. This loudmouth Steve Austin, who's a heel, is really kind of getting half the cheers, and Brett's return is almost ruined. And not really ruined, but in a sense, it's not like you're conquering heroes back, and he's going to take over the WWF. It's like he's not really getting a huge positive reaction, just as you would think a babyface conquering hero would.
0: Well, I think you know, in a lot of ways, that NWO had been changing a bit of the paradigm in the way that rest American wrestling was being. Uh, no viewed in yeah. ECW yeah. too, right? Where it was just like where you had kind of passed the point where having, you know, just a straight white meat baby face like this wasn't going to work. And I, obviously, I think it came back. Uh, you know what I mean? I think in many ways, Cena was pretty much a white meat baby face and no, incredibly no yeah. successful about it. But I, at this point, this wasn't, I don't think that people wanted to see this uh, particularly. And I think that, and I, you know, I think that a lot of the, edged attempt to do edgy stuff uh post this was really juvenile and childish and stupid. Uh but I think in some ways when you have performers that were as good as Austin and as good as Harton and really as good as the I mean I you know I was not an NWO guy. I was the guy who was going, why can't I watch why why is this Juventus Guerrero match so short? You know, but but <laughs> but in hindsight, you know it's like you know, Nash and, and, and Scott Hall and this guy's also just tremendous you know performers and uh, you know in a way that just you know doing dick jokes uh doesn't cut it when it's when it's uh you know uh, road dog doing them or something versus versus what it with steve austin doing them um and obviously you know a couple years past this point just every single bit of the show of the WWF show was you know tits and poop and you know just like like a like a 12 year old wrote it or something but at this point i think that you know heart uh you know bret hart cursing you know uh and austin cursing and the whole thing and the blood which at that point had been kind of you know you didn't see a ton of in the in uh in the wf i mean that that whole thing really did was really like uh shocking in a lot of ways and i and, 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 and you know, it turned it around for them for sure
1: And I think even that era, just being a young was basically 14 about to turn 15, and and as you're coming along here, it's like, man, the the world is changing at this point in in the late 90s to uh, definitely shades of gray, as they like to say. And there's not really a lot of black and white like Austin is uh, for sure shades of gray. Like everything, if he was in the 80s, everything he's doing, he's cheating. He's calling him shit man. Um, he's, he's throwing people around that are production people. He's ruining sets. He's doing all that stuff. He's showing up to somebody's house when they're injured. Uh, and the guy's taking out a gun because he's got to protect his family. All this stuff in, in normal times, you'd be like, okay, this guy's that definite heel. Now everything that he did—that swagger, that attitude, him like cursing people off—all that stuff was babyface stuff, or about to be babyface. I mean, he's really starting to get him over. And Brett was doing that. You're like, you're right, like that white meat babyface. I'm returning. I'm gonna. I'm the hero. This guy has been bad mouthing me, but when he returned, I was at Survivor Series '96. Awesome show. One of my favorite shows. Loved it. But when he returned, he got a good pop and a good reaction, but so did Steve Austin. It wasn't like 100% zero. It was almost 50-50 in a certain aspect of like half the crowd kind of wanted maybe a little bit less, but like they were starting to really have an upswing for Austin. So it wasn't like Austin was like this you know hated heel. Like I think they wanted him to be. He was really turning into the face when Bret Hart did nothing wrong, but was kind of slowly but surely turning into a heel.
0: Yeah, and it's interesting, I don't think, I mean, Bret Hart, uh, you know, cheat. this is a no-DQ match, and he kind of works Austin over with the chair and all that yeah. kind of stuff, but, you know, that's not going to turn you heel, not with not with Austin is your opponent, right? Like, I mean, he's doing right. all that stuff, too, so he almost had to do the sort of sour lemon kind of, like, pissy, I mean, this whole match, it's like, you if you didn't know what he was doing, you'd think that this was a guy intentionally putting on an I'm-gonna-job face, right? Mm-hmm. Which obviously his job, That's kind of what it looks like But I think he's doing this It's almost like a meta thing Right where he's like Alright this is how I'm gonna Get this guy Get this guy over Get me over as a heel I'm gonna kind of really be a, Like a Like a real Sore loser uh, yep. You know Petulant little dick uh, Which kind of was Brett's character For the next year You know Really until he left uh, uh, For WCW Right Was Was as kind of this guy Wandering through this Attitude Era thing with, like, a fucking look on his face, like, what is this stupid shit? What am I supposed to be doing? I'm supposed to be this... You know, you're cheering for this guy? The
1: the funny thing is, they're cheering for this guy. Technically, Austin cheated to win the Royal Rumble. So, like, he almost has a point, though. Like, you can almost see, like, why he's getting so agitated, because it's like, wait a second, you're cheering for this guy? He just cheated to win the Rumble. I really won the Rumble. Like, what the hell? Like, it it was set up so greatly because... I think each heel or about to be heel, like they always have that sense of reality. Like, wait a second, I'm the good guy. I got screwed here, but Brett almost like it was a good point, but it's funny. The fans are almost like, ah, stop crying. He just outsmarted you. But if that was the eighties, Austin would be like a total, total heel where it's like, well, he cheated to win. Brett really won that match. Yeah. And I
0: think a lot of, uh, I mean, obviously the great, I think to be the great heels, all are all baby faces in their own mind right and, and so it isn't it isn't all everything Brett does in this period right he's got right. he's got a justification for right he' yeah. he's got if you ask him he's got he, he's 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 the good I'm not the bad guy I'm the good guy right and uh um I was like, curb your enthusiasm last night I'm not a bad guy you watch that was really funny I'm not a bad guy I'm not a bad guy here and that was kind of what Bret Hart was doing to this I'm not the bad guy this guy you're gonna cheer with this guy he's cheating. A, he's uh... drinking beer you know like i'm 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 the guy. I give the kid the glasses. Why are you right. booing me? And obviously, you have- the whole uh, when it got to be the Canadian thing, it turned into kind of a very, uh, you know, a jingoistic thing where he, he was the good guy in a lot of places. That was a really cool moment. I don't think anybody's ever really successfully been able to
1: replicate. Oh no way! Do you have a five foot fence by the way around I, your pool? I don't have a
0: pool, but I certainly <laughs> I certainly would have. I guess have a fence if I did. Um, but yeah. That was a great episode. Great, great show last night. Yeah. Curb. So yeah. funny. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, it's funny. I This is. Uh, Sherbrock is weird in this match. I kind of forgot he was involved in it.
1: <laughs> yeah, the guest referee, yeah. It's,
0: it's completely unnecessary. <laughs> it doesn't help the match at all. <laughs> it does kind of just wander around. In the, he is. Boy, Sherbrock, Sherbrock came ready for a, a 90s WWF run, though. I mean, good lord. Uh, Sherbrooke was never a guy who was shy about uh, about uh, about um, enhancements, but if you don't nope. at Sherbrooke in this match, like Jesus, <laughs> this looks like he's looks like pop, if you stuck a pin in his arm, he'd deflate like a balloon. Uh, I guess
1: it lends to, like credibility, like the submission match. You have a former UFC champion. I guess that's really the the crux of it. But I, to me. I don't know. I would rather just call it an I quit match rather than a submission match. Yeah, I mean, to me. it
0: wasn't like these guys were doing a lot of mat wrestling. <laughs> right.
1: Exactly. Yep.
0: You know, it was like, oh, okay. Let's. Ex- this, this wasn't. Uh, it was like, oh, we have Sherbrock here. We got to show them we can do pancreas too. It would say you that know, be how this match was worked. And anyway, it would be amusing if they did work it like that. But yeah, this is an I quit match. Um, and uh, and then you you know, and obviously, it's an I. The problem with booking I quit matches is it's very hard to ever actually have somebody say I quit and have it be like a thing that, you know, fits within the story you're trying to tell. You know, I don't know. How many, six. I mean, people always end up doing like, you know, shortcuts. This is a shortcut here too, obviously, with Austin, you know, refusing to say it and just passing out. But I mean, I think, think, you know, a lot of times people do like these I quit matches. Like, well, it's not going to say I quit. Especially if, if you know if a baby face is going to lose, so they always have a million uh, you know dumb tricks to try to get around it. And the trick is, I guess, don't just don't book that match unless you're willing to have, have a mag to have a Tully Blanchard scream "I like quit" into the microphone.
1: Uh, yeah, or, or yes.
0: Yeah, right, exactly. Um, but yeah, they, 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 this is if you're going to if you're going to do a cop out finish, this is how you do it, right? I mean, you know. Hart refusing to let it go. Just dry oh. Austin trying to reverse, dragging it out, dragging it out, just bleeding and bleeding and bleeding. Do we know was this one of the matches where I know Hart was the master of the fake bl- of the of the fake blade job? Was this a fake blade job match? Where like Hart yep. where Hart would you know, oh what you know, like Hart would do this thing, where he did it a bunch of times during the Piper match. I think he did it in a match with British Bulldog, where it was like convinced uh he did the blading. Yeah. Uh and uh which is why Austin blood so much, right? That's like the the ultimate I, I know, I did a pod with Steve Carter where he talked about Jonathan Boyd bleeding him in a match and then he him almost dying from blood loss. Uh like I'd go to the hospital in oh, an ambulance and uh and we talked about that and like the I'm gonna have somebody else blade you. It's uh, I'll blade you, don't worry. That's always that always that almost always goes bad. I think uh wasn't the uh, wasn't that the story of the isn't there there's a like an ECW Beulah versus Fonzie match right uh, where Fonzie yes. nearly almost dies in the ring of blood I think that was uh, somebody else blading him I think Akira Hokita Kandori which is in my book is a match where I think Wally Yamaguchi bladed uh, Hokita whenever you have somebody else do it it's a bad idea so I think. Uh, this was one of those things where Hart would do this all the time, where he would uh, want to bleed in matches or have somebody else bleed in matches, and he would just lie to Vince McMahon and say it was accidental.
1: Yes, and the best thing is that he would even say, like Pat Patterson, who's you know, obviously a genius and a master, and Vince – wouldn't even catch on because you would get fined if you were caught blading because he said, no, blading, I don't want anybody bleeding tonight unless it's accidental. So he was so sneaky and good. The cameras couldn't catch it. I mean, that's how good he is. Like, they couldn't catch it. The guys watching it couldn't catch it. Vince, Pat Patterson, nobody's catching on that. He's literally blading the other guy and he's pretending it's accidental and it looks like it's accidental. Same thing happened. Season's beatings against uh, Bulldog in 95. Same thing. WrestleMania 8, Piper he's just the master and he can't get caught for whatever reason. They just, they weren't onto it unless they were maybe onto it and they just let it go because the end result was so
0: good. Yeah, I mean, it was like one of those things is, uh, a Casablanca moments. I can't believe there's gambling in this institution. <laughs> I can't believe that somebody's bleeding in this thing. Let's sh- turn this as a focus of our television, this one iconic image for the next five years. <laughs> I mean, like, it feels like if they were that mad about it, maybe they don't have the image of Austin and the sharpshooter ble- covered in blood as like the focal point of their television for the next like decade. <laughs>
1: And then they turned that awesome Austin three sixteen. Then they made it Austin three sixteen with the blood and in the back that, that face and it says blood from a stone. So even <laughs> their you know marketing department was was all over that. Like yeah, we're going to make a shit ton of money off this.
0: Yes, um. such a
1: perfect match. It, like go back and watch, so perfect. Just Bret Hart is so believable and convincing. Austin, same thing. You could tell that they or you think that they don't like each other. It's been brewing for months since even Brett before he came back has been brewing this guy's been bad mouthing him so everything like that they do to each other is totally justified it's totally believable you really think the guys hate each other it's just I don't know I, I go back and I will still and I will still like Mark Alford just it's such an awesome match
0: I mean Austin talk about a guy who you know succeeded in despite uh you know like a, just a guy who took every opportunity right I be mean, famously fired by Eric Bischoff uh you know, who didn't think he was marketable. I think it was the line that Bischoff said. I said in my book that was the equivalent of the Decca records passing on the Beatles because there was already too many guitar bands. Uh, Barry Bischoff saying, like, I don't really see anything in this Steve Austin guy. And then imagine kind of, that. I mean, you know, look, like I can't, you can't. Right to give, how much do you think, yeah, that was Ernest Miller money, right? I mean, to pay his son's karate teacher to come in and be in wrestle. Didn't right. have, did have the money for Steve Austin. Right. I mean, Stevie Ray was making $850,000 a year, but he couldn't, couldn't, uh, couldn't uh, fight it in the budget for Steve Austin.
1: And um, it's funny, too, it's like he's United States champion in 94, so it's like, to me, if you're U.S. champ, you would probably next step, maybe world title, or at least world title shot or something like that, where you climb the ladder because it's got to be the equivalent of the IC title, right? I mean, this guy's going to be moving, yeah. up, moving up the card. When Hogan and his buddies come in, nope, you're losing to Jim Duggan in 30 seconds. And then, oh, you're going to fight Duggan again, and you're going to lose <laughs> by DQ. You can't beat the guy. It's like, what the hell is going on? And then all of a sudden, you know, a few months later, We don't see Austin in WCW more, and Bischoff fires him, and obviously he wasn't marketable enough somehow, some way. But it was weird. Before that, somebody saw something in him where he's the United States champion and maybe moving up the card, and then Hogan and Duggan and those guys came in a honky-tonk, and that was the end of Steve Austin in WCW. Just crazy to uh, think, like, nobody thought that this guy could not work with Hogan maybe right away, but work with somebody higher in the card.
0: Yeah, I mean, that that, uh, Hogan the Hogan the first Hogan's in now run of WCW was I was painful I was horrible because obviously 94 was so good uh, not business wise but you know for, as far as in something, something that I enjoyed and then that that Hogan comes in run uh, rough brutal worst maybe that, that was one of the worst six months in American wrestling history right like that you know Hogan comes in with Doggan and Hoggy Dog Man, and, and you know and Bruce Beefcake and you know that whole period. It's just like God, you know, flare in a dress, you know, all that stuff. Just uh, hardly there were some fun, you know, bad attitude matches on C shows. But outside of that, that's a that is a barren that is a barren wasteland for entertaining wrestling. <laughs>
1: It's like whatever Vader's doing, and then <laughs> and then everybody else Right. Yeah, you know, a couple eh. of fun. There's yeah.
0: a fun. Uh, I think there was a fun Sting Tenta match or two. It was kind of entertaining. And Big Bubba, too. And Big Bubba, was too. Big Bubba yep. was good. Um, it's funny when you think about that, Austin Duggan, man. Think about how good, like 95. Uh, 94, 95 Austin against 85, 84 Duggan would be right. Like obviously oh Duggan. God, yeah. we, we talked about a little, little of this We talked about uh, the uh, with my buddy Will about the Duggan, Buzz uh, Sawyer sort of thing. He was one of those guys, well, the one of the most precipitous falls uh, from grace when it comes to being an entertaining guy in a wrestling ring. From your period of you know him in Mid South where he was just you know basically untouchable as a brawler to you know. Uh, foam two by four dug in to WCW dug in. It was just like, wow. You know, you don't usually see guys drop off that quickly unless there's, you know, uh, drugs or something involved. Uh,
1: it is it is crazy to think, like, man, he was so damn good in Mid South. And then by the time WW, I know it's like 10, 12 years later, but still WCW comes around and it's like, yeah, I don't know about this. And then, like, does he really need to be United States champion? Does he really need to beat the young gun? Steve Austin, then like, oh my god! Now we're getting rid of Austin to keep uh, the Booty Man around, and because if you look at Bash of the Beach '94, it's like, wow, that roster is awesome. Funk, uh, Steamboat, and also I know Steamboat gets hurt eventually, which sucks. But you had such a cool roster. But by the time you get to Starcade '94, then it's all the Hogan guys, the Honky Tonk Man, the Dugan. Um, Vader's not in a big spot, even though Vader should have been in the main event against Hogan. It's just like, oh man, it's like crazy, like to think like, okay, Hogan's going to bring all his business. Oh, but does he have to bring all his friends in too? Like, oh man! Yeah, I
0: remember when that happened. Being like so frustrated, I was like, ah, oh, this is all trash." You know and what I mean? mean? And
1: then Funk is on his way out too, and he was awesome earlier in '94. It's like, god damn it! Man.
0: Yeah, I mean that was a point. I think '94 was probably a low point uh, for my wrestling fandom because uh, I hadn't really got, I hadn't really gotten started getting into ECW stuff, which I started getting into a little bit more in college. I hadn't. Uh, really started getting tapes yet. I think I started getting tapes around that period. And it was just so this was like at uh, a you know, something I obviously had, you know, put a time a lot of time and emotional energy in as a kid. And at that point I was like, man, this is this is a bummer. Uh and then I found the Japanese video store and <laughs> my, uh, in, in uh, near my parents' house and got kind of it all, uh, at and all, and, and here I am. But, you know, there's a, a sliding doors moment as I don't find that. And then I find something else to do with myself when I got to college outside of watching ECW And like my dorm room and, you know, at nights I wasn't out. Um, but no, the, uh, so then Austin comes, you know, he got, Austin goes, uh, to ECW and the ECW Austin stuff is great. Like he is really, really good in ECW and he kind of starts to, I think, develop.
1: A little bit you know the, yeah, and he's got a chip on his shoulder big time
0: yeah and, and you know he uh, is that feud with uh, Mikey Whipwreck and Santa man and he's really fun in that it doesn't I mean I don't know how long that lasted I can't have been more than a month or two um, but that was like a, a ECW as a as f- a fun place to stop by for a while in between things right like if you're out of, you know in between the two Pillman did it I mean Cactus Jack in some ways his run wasn't even, is obviously you know incredible but it wasn't that long uh, you know, in between couple years maybe, maybe not even that, uh, in ECW. Uh so there's a stop point and then he gets to W yeah, F and uh you know, he ends up as the Ringmaster and that that was a go nothing gimmick, you know. That was a that was a treadmill uh if you've ever seen one, right? You know, feuding with Savio Vega, you know with DiBiase is like, you know, Sort of as a manager. I mean that wasn't gonna go anywhere.
1: And then, it's funny, like that Vega feud was like never ending either. It was like, Well, how long is these two gonna feud with each other? Matches, Jesus. matches are
0: pretty good. I like Xavier Vega. It's a guy who thinks I, pretty good. They were
1: great, but it was I don't know, to me, I was like, Man, like Vega's mid card. Can we give Austin a bit of a push well, that? I, mean, I don't I, like the Springmaster gimmick, but he I mean, good matches for sure, but it was like, Man, move this guy up the card. It's like punk right now in AEW. Move this guy up the card. What are you guys doing?
0: Um I think he's fine. Punk's fine doing what he's doing. Although, I, I don't know about Bobby Fish. But that's, not, that's another conversation for another day. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, but, uh, so then, do you, do you know the list of names that, when he suggested changing his gimmick and shaving his head?
1: Oh, my God. What was it? Like, Frosty McQueen or so something with one so of them? I haven't them?
0: Been there, But Otto Von Ruthless. They suggested Otto Von Ruthless. They oh, suggested horrible. Ice Dagger. They suggested Fang McFrost and they suggested Chili McFreeze. I'm mean, talking about, it. I mean, it's like in some ways, in some ways, is it despite everyone involved in the, this promotion, this, in this huge trying of success, can you imagine if this main event of WrestleMania was Bret Hart against fucking Chili McFreeze in a submission match? It's
1: oh funny my too god,
0: because- Otto von Ruthless has blood running down his head! <laughs>
1: It's so bad. Like, oh, my God. Like, sometimes WBF and the, the marketing machine and the licensing department and creative and creative services, you're like, wow, this is great. Like, oh, my God, look at this character. Look at these T-shirts. Look at this. And then sometimes they come back and they're like, here's Chili McFreeze. You're like, <laughs> what in the hell is this? Like, are you kidding? Like, what is this, 1945? Like, come on, man. Like, sometimes they are just awful. They, they can't Fing get out of the way. McFrost place.
0: 316 said I just whooped your ass. <laughs> He'd just be dead. So he would bad. be dead. It wouldn't matter how great he is, right? Like, I mean, I would have just killed him. Uh, I don't know. I mean, you know, it's
1: I could see Austin them like, the telling, sense of uh,
0: talking about it. I mean, there's plenty of people who have not been able to talk about it. they stupid fucking names. And they just I get could stuck see, with
1: uh, them. Uh, Jim Ross being like, Hey, uh, Steve. Uh, got a suggestion here for you. Don't go crazy. Don't get mad. But uh, Chili McFreeze. <laughs> like I can see him being like all like disheveled, to explain to Austin like, "Here's some horrible gimmick names we might give you." Like what?
0: Chelly McFreeze! Chelly McFreeze! He's stopping a mud all of them! McFreeze is <laughs> stopping a mud! The Mick too! Oh my god, so bad! Uh, I can't like I can't get over how terrible it is. I mean it's you know, it's still going on, right? I mean broad breaker is fucking as oh, bad gosh. as Otto Von ruthless
1: <laughs> Yeah, but just imagine WrestleMania 14. The ice dagger era mm-hmm. has
0: begun. <laughs> it's, it's awful. Uh yeah, so you know this they had they had a moment i mean i think i probably prob, i mean how much of this how much of this do you think was people writing and how much of this was austin and Hart? i get the sense that a lot of this was just austin Hart being austin and Hart, and then taking some control yeah. of this rather than the people who were uh than the the you know the the 50 failed sitcom writers uh perpetrate you know sticking themselves in the writing room right like i mean you know every every guy every guy who got a second uh, team UCB uh ends up having 6 months in the WWE writers room and I, you know it's like the stuff they come up with for the most part is pretty terrible <laughs> from yeah. for universally right from from almost day from almost day 1 of that stuff uh you know the the terrible ideas outweigh the good ones by a fair amount um but you know, this was this was a they had a moment. I mean, this this started a real period where it was like a, it was the thing that it was the. I mean, a, a much more satisfying product in a lot of ways than than WCW was at that point. Even though WCW was, uh, you know,
1: kicking their ass,
0: kicking their ass for a while, and then this is when it kind of stopped, right? I mean, that was that was. Uh, I mean, this was uh, you know what was was this, this was this the Scarcade. Uh, this year, was this the Starcade? This year that was. Um, what was this? This was 90. Uh, what Starcade was this so year? This
1: is 97. Starcade 97. Sting versus Hogan. The year long build that did almost 800,000 buys. So, I mean. So, it, Heart it-
0: was gone. Heart didn't even last a year then.
1: Cause, um, he came back November ninety six, basically, and left November ninety seven. Yeah, so basically, almost almost a year he lasted. That was it. Wow,
0: God, that's such a such a great period to match. To re- I don't really think of that as lasting a year. Um, yeah. but obviously wrestling moves so much weirdly slower now where it's like a year ago that the WWE was basically identical right <laughs> you know yeah. like it is the same guys they're in the same place they're doing the same thing and the, the whole heart as a heel stuff was only a year it was the, and then he was in you know in WCW and I was at that starcade. that was a brutal starcade. just awful from like a, a watching standpoint right uh, I think you'd your your worst Malenko Guerrero match, and then yeah, you, I was you gonna know. say
1: that's the only good match, and that's not the best match they've had by a long shot. Yeah,
0: uh, the, right. Uh, you know, uh, the Benoit stuff with the flock was okay, but otherwise, I mean, I remember having the I remember being in the audience, and that was, this is a show where they had every all the wrestlers in the audience, like the whole roster was in the audience. And you just look – I remember being in the audience and just looking around in the audience and just at the greatest, like, assembly of professional wrestling talent ever, right, watching uh, Eric Bischoff and Larry Zbyszko
1: <laughs> For control of right, yeah. yeah. like, like
0: Fit Finley and Regal and Juventud Guerrera and El Dandy and the Vianos and La Barca. And just like, they're all, like, you know, I'll uh, just sitting there in the audience Harlem Heat they couldn't even find a fucking match for Harlem Heat in in uh, DC Chocolate City right by far the most over guys on that show were Harlem Heat in the audience uh, live and it just like and they're all just hanging out hanging out in suits you know there's psychosis in a suit and a mask watching you know Zabisco do karate and Bischoff do karate standoffs fucking <laughs> the shittiest so yeah I mean it was funny that they uh uh, and not surprising that this ended, right? I mean, this this kind of you know the a sting not winning clean and Hogan. Yeah, okay. I mean, that, that was pretty much the end of it for wwe I think I mean, it lasted for a while after that, but I think that was pretty much the point where it's not going to happen for them.
1: That's when it started heading downhill. So by April of '98, they finally, with the Austin McMahon wrestling on Raw, quote unquote wrestling on Raw, they finally start winning. And then basically by summer of 98, WCW is starting to really kind of lose uh, favor. But obviously they bring in Warrior to try to get a spike. There's some nostalgia there. They start winning the ratings somehow with Warrior beating Austin the ratings. Then you get to Halloween Havoc. They have that horrible Warrior Hogan match. Then WCW never wins ever again. <laughs> so it's like okay, uh, it's the beginning of the end there, but it, it does last for a little bit longer thanks to a little pop by Goldberg, a little pop by Warrior, and then it all falls apart. Yeah. Uh,
0: so I mean, it is fun. I mean, I think, I think you are getting a little of that, a little of that now. Uh, which is one of the fun things about cart wrestling is you do have a, that's a little bit of that same sort of head to head versus head thing. Um, which is, you know, it's, it's nostalgic where the point where you would figure out which one of these shows were, you know, is gonna Watch what's the hotter product. Uh, it may be the best thing overall for the WWE to have somebody actually. Push them a little bit. No evidence of that so far, but maybe at some point this will cause them to sort of put it together a little bit and make something a little more entertaining. It's kind of what they we were forced to do here, right? I don't know who Austin is and who Hart is in this situation, in the analogy. And obviously, AEW isn't really is a, a much smaller uh, concern than WCW was even before it started getting big.
1: The funny thing is, it's like here in 97, like if you look at, at WWF, everyone was saying they were putting on better shows. Steve Austin was more of a compelling character, Bret Hart. The NWO was kind of doing same old, same old. That's what, that's what a lot of the, honestly, I think outside of the end of Uncensored, when Sting makes that surprise appearance and the crowd goes freaking nuts. Like that was such a cool storyline. But they, everyone kind of was saying, oh, but WWF's putting on such great TV, but they keep losing in the ratings. I almost feel a little bad with AEW because everyone's saying AEW is the better product. But everyone's still watching WWF I, I wonder if, like a year down the road, if we're going to see some sort of swing and momentum ratings-wise, like we did literally, from '97 to '98 in WWF and WCW.
0: Yeah, we can see it. I mean they are, I think the WWF's winning overall ratings, but you know they've also been around forever, and AEW has been around for a couple of years. And also the, their audience is incredibly old. Really, the WWE audience—it's like at some point the advertising they're going to have on that—it's like the advertising you're going to have on "Murder She Wrote" reruns. <laughs> it's all going to be—it's all going to be Tom Selleck reverse mortgages and uh, and uh, and like erectile dysfunction drugs and and uh, geritol at this point for the age. I, I remember what we were seeing—what like the age breakdown of NXT. It oh was my like god, did you like, see that? Like the median the,
1: age is sixty-two. The <laughs> median age. I was like, how is the, how the hell is that
0: possible? Yeah. So, you know, that's not great. That means there are a lot of people well over 62 watching that show. That's what, you know, I, you know for, uh, teach logic for the media. means that it's not like it's a bunch of 62-year-olds. What it means is for every 30-year-old, there's got to be an 80-year-old.
1: Yes. <laughs> like yeah. Or a
0: 90-year-old watching the show to get the average that high. I mean, so, I don't know. You, the, the raw numbers matter less than, than actual, than the stuff like, I don't think, advertisers are necessarily super excited about an average age of uh of sixty was sixty three 62? unbelievable, yeah, unbelievable. <laughs> so.
1: and, and it's funny I'm like I think i'm I'm almost forty so it's like I'm thinking like oh I'm probably the median age or I gotta be I'm not even close that's insane
0: yeah beer you were the median age that wouldn't be good either <laughs> much <laughs> right, less yeah, like
1: more towards eighteen yeah yeah oh
0: Twenty-five, not not forty, and certainly not sixty. So who knows? I mean, I you know, I think at some point that can't that can't last. But other ways, you know, I'm I'm a guy who's I'm am a guy who likes niches of niches. So I don't super care who wins the ratings. You know, it's kind of fun to you know you know see uh, you know people talk shit on Twitter. But for the most part, I'm looking at you know I'm looking at what weird thing can I unearth that doesn't have anything really to do with. Uh, either of these two promotions, right? I'm like, oh I was so there- just
1: trying to think of Brian Danielson uh, dream matches and I got two of them, Suzuki and Dustin Rhodes. Which by the way should might be a part of Dustin of the Day if you go back I, and watch I, that Dustin Rhodes match. That was great.
0: I, I am probably I'm gonna put it in Dustin of the Day. I love that. I'm a big fan of obviously both those guys. And that was that match was better than I better than I was hoping it was gonna be and I had pretty high expectations for it.
1: I feel like uh, Brian Danielson, modern day Bret Hart the guy can literally have a good match with anybody and usually it's not like a shorter match. Usually it's like a longer match a little bit more plotted like not as many crazy high spots you might see in like a Shawn Michaels match or, or maybe crazy psychology getting out it. No. Bret Hart Brian Danielson very in line. That's a, that's why I love that style of wrestling it's like I don't, know, they I mean, don't I get too a, out of element like it's it seems like a legit fight or a legit match.
0: Yeah. Although I, I think Punk is uh, in, in many ways is doing Bret Hart more than than Danielson as an AEW. I think I mean, he's very specifically doing. I mean, Bret Hart, you know, Bret Hart. Oh, uh, even down to some of the spots. Yeah, with yeah, Darby yeah.
1: Allen, the one I mean that, two three kids spot. That, yeah. was,
0: that, was, that match was designed to ape that. I think a lot of what he's doing is slowing things down in the way Bret Hart would slow something down. I, in some ways, I think Danielson is more. I mean, Danielson is a Michaels trainee. Right, I think in in some ways, when you look at the two, if you look at those two guys, I think you punk's more hard and 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 Danielson's more Shawn Michaels Uh, because he's doing a lot of stuff. You know, there's a lot of stuff in those matches, and he's is he you know I don't think he slowed down Omega that much. I think he kind of tried to pace him, which is you know fine. But uh, I don't know. I, I I think I'm I think, as a, I think I'm I for we're, we're, you know this is a little off topic. But I guess it's kind of whatever. <laughs> uh, I think I'm probably a higher voter on Punk and AW and a little bit of a lower voter on Danielson when I ha- compared to the your average when you're talking about those two guys. Uh, like both, I think they both have both been very good. But I in some ways I think I'm enjoying Punk. Uh, more than I'm enjoying Daniels, even though I think probably before this, if you asked me, I would say I'd be more excited about Daniels. Just because you know, I, really? I yeah, you I'm know.
1: surprised because the Nick Jackson match was great, Suzuki match was great, Dustin Rhodes Omega. Dustin
0: Rhodes match was incredible. The other ones, yeah. I, I'm a little lower on. I just that I, I that kind of pace pushing stuff is something that I'm not as big a fan of. We're just like the, that. Suzuki, that Suzuki match I thought was really good. I I, I don't know. I, I, have, I have I'm not a guy who's incredibly enamored with the minor the your Minoru Suzuki comes to the U S. run. I'll uh, I'll be. I, I think that I I thought it, it, it's a lot of the same thing, <laughs> with just different guys. And I if I never see a uh, a I. God, I always mentioned to you before we went on the show that I went to a, my first live wrestling show in a long time was like a lucha show uh, in here in Denver where your main event was Anthony Henry and um, uh, Alex Zane versus... Elio de La Parque and La Parque Jr. And there's one, but it's a fun match, and, and you know, a lot of like kids getting really excited about the La kids. And at one point in that match, like Elio de LA Park and Anthony Henry start exchanging forearms. And I'm like, I can't even get away from that fucking spot at a goddamn uh, a lucha strip show. ball lucha show in Denver in front of a bunch of kids. I haven't seen two guys throw forearms and make faces at each other for God's sakes. So it's just like I, you know, part of me, part of me with that Danielson Suzuki match is like, yeah, I get it. Who's tougher? Let's see some forearms. Like every goddamn match in professional wrestling today, has got to stop for two minutes while people make forearms hit, hit each other with forearms and make faces. Um, so you know, uh, when they, I like Dustin Rhodes in that match. Dustin Rhodes says, "Come on, motherfucker!" and throws a bunch of punches like he's dusty. Right, we didn't do the. I'm gonna stand here and make faces while you let you hit.
1: Me. Right, right, right.
0: Like so, and I and I don't, didn't haven't seen Punk do that shit in any of his matches either. So, part of me is like, I have, uh Brian Danielson's since 2021 wrestling for me for to really, I mean, maybe the best version of it, but it still is a lot of. He is doing a lot of that. As like, I oh, don't, I just don't want to see 2021 wrestling like uh, as much. So you know, so that would be my that would be my uh, my contrarian statement about those two guys. It's right. Here. I am so, kind
1: of getting tired of that spot. Uh, the the trading, not from Suzuki necessarily, but that spot in general. Like everybody does it. Yeah, from Suzuki too. Know, you know, like, Damn it, he gets a pass. Come on, ah. it's like it's like Jack Evans doing crazy spots, and people are like, oh, he's t- too flippy floppy. No, he gets a pass. I guess. Some guys get a pass. All right, I mean, okay.
0: I don't know, you know, here's the thing. It's like, my, the Minoru Suzuki I love is PWFG Minoru Suzuki. Not really New Japan Minoru Suzuki.
1: What about so, his 2012 run, though? Yeah, that was oh, fine. Japan. That was awesome. Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Didn't do a ton for me. I'm not, a, like... I mean, so, you know, I got... His, you know what's really great? His 93 run in PWFG. Go watch some of that. <laughs> That's fucking incredible. So I kept, on, I kept on a lot of these matches. I kept on hoping somebody would really take him to the mat and make him, you know do some of that stuff and really like he he would just even in Bloodsport he'd just like let's get up and throw some exchange some forearms this is, I, I do this one thing and you're gonna do my one thing so you know you watch four or five of those you're like okay here's the time where he, here's the this spot that he's done in every other match at some point I just kind of like it, it, I watched like two or three of them and I was like I, I don't need to see a fourth was my, it was my thought so I, maybe that was the issue with the Daniels and one too is that I'd already seen him work like Anthony Henry and I'd seen him work uh, a couple other people in this little run, so I kind of knew where everything was gonna, where, where all the points he was gonna hit in his matches. Like you, you, that Anthony Henry match, which was also pretty good, is really the same match. Just Anthony, yeah. Anthony Henry's not as good as Bright so I don't even Anthony Henry would tell you that, but uh, a lot of the stuff was just going get yeah, worse. Here's this this Minoru Suzuki match is gonna do. I got gotcha. you, and you know I. I Part of this, I imagine, if he's, he's touring around and, you know, if, if you're paying a ticket to see him in Time Bomb Pro in North Dakota, you want to see him do his stuff. And you don't necessarily want to see him and uh, Dominic Garini do point jiu-jitsu. That's not what he paid for. Uh, but I'm really excited if he did point jiu-jitsu with Dominic Carini. That's what I was kind of right. hoping I would get. I didn't really right. get. Didn't really get that. Yeah, you I know, didn't really get that. Him and Danielson did some stuff on the mat. But a lot of it was kind of just, you know, that sort of Minoru Suzuki match, which, you know... Yeah. Eh, yeah. Come on. I, I like... It was cool thing about Danielson, because he did the Dustin Rhodes match, the Dustin Rhodes match, right? That was a Dustin Rhodes match, and he was amazing at that, and it was... But that was like a Dustin Rhodes match, in a way, more than a, almost a Brian Danielson match, and that's kind right. of what Danielson's been doing. He've, the Omega match was an Omega match.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah. The, he's been adapting, yep. He's been
0: doing the... there. He's been doing people's stuff. So, and he's great... And he's, he's such a great adaptor. Russell, He's incredible doing some people's stuff i guess i just like the there some people those people stuff less than a lot of people like i don't like particularly like kenny omega matches so him doing the, the amazing kenny omega match it's still like it's still what it is um so i'm excited to see. i mean I'm, it feels like uh they're booking more towards me now because like you know dustin rhodes is one of my all-time favorite wrestlers and he was amazing at dustin rhodes match and eddie kingston is one of my all-time favorite wrestlers so i'm very excited to see what he does in an eddie kingston match
1: yeah, next week, right? Yeah, this is
0: this. Uh, yeah, this this podcast is getting less evergreen than these normally were. So hopefully, everyone just listens to this right when it happens, not in, like three months <laughs> where people <laughs> these guys talking about stuff that already happened. So Let's talk a little more about uh, attitude era. So where were you as a fan in this? T- talk to me a little about what you were up to in night in nineteen ninety seven. You said you so were four- what
1: about fourteen years old, almost going to be fifteen, but huge just huge fan of both. Like me and all my friends were wrestling fans. Like if you weren't a wrestling fan, I probably wasn't going to talk to you as much. Like we were like my, I have a twin brother. He loved wrestling. A good buddy of mine was obsessed. I got a friend of mine that watched when he was younger. He started watching again. And we just all became obsessed, but we were like true blue. And I don't even know why, cause I'm in New Jersey and in, in the Northeast, but I became a huge WCW guy, really following Hogan kind of wherever he went. Cause I was a Hulkamaniac. And when he turned heel, like we became obsessed. We were just shocked that he was a heel. So we became obsessed with the NWO. We were heel fans. We were loving them. They were dominating. But then you had Sting, who was basically Batman to their Joker. So we liked Sting too. He was so damn cool. Like just you know, hovering in the shadows. The whole crow gimmick was awesome. He'd attack it uncensored. And, like, okay, he's, he's WCW, but then he'd be gone for a while. So then you go back through for the NWO. They, I don't know. There were so many cool things that WCW did. I loved the Cruiserweight division. I was a huge Mysterio fan. Uh, I loved Benoit. There was a bunch of stuff that they did that I was just like, man, they are just so much better than WWF. But then you turn WWF on, you're like, man, they have Steve Austin. They have Vader, who they're not doing anything with, but still Vader's there. They got uh, Mankind. Bret Hart is awesome now that he's back. I love Steve. Sid, not really ever a Shawn Michaels guy, but you would always find yourself kind of flicking back and forth. And most fans were watching WCW and the momentum was all on their side. But then you kind of had this Bret Hart thing. And then Shawn Michaels, who I hated anyway, loses this smile. So I became even more interested like, wow, what the hell are they going to do now? There's no champion. You know, so it became such a. Interesting time in wrestling to watch both and be interested in both and really find like there was so much talent in both leagues despite WCW being so dominant. Yeah, well, WCW almost too much, right? Where oh, it was amazing. like, you know, like
0: you had, you know, you had some of the greatest wrestlers of all time doing nothing. Right, like you know, the viatos on WCW Pro. Right, I don't know how much of a lucha guy you are, but the viatos yeah. are incredible, right? Like to some of the great, to like all time greats, right? You know, El Dandy, you know, there's you know, your top 10 El Dandy matches are as good as the top 10 matches from anyone in wrestling history. Like, that was so want... funny. I mean, El Dandy's probably best known for that Bret Hart joke, um, that in yes. America, yes. And it's like kind of you know, it's like I it was kind of bugged me a little bit, especially because I was kind of thinking, you know, Bret. You're making fun of the guy, but, you know, I'll take, I'll take El Dandy. If you put your guys head-to-head, head, ask me who I like more, uh, I'm, go- I'm going with Dandy, although obviously Hart's great. I'm not a WWF guy. So it's like I didn't have that same sort of connection to Bret Hart the way right. I did to, you know, to guys in WCW and then in NWA. And then later when I started really getting into international wrestling, you know, that became the you know, thing that I was in right, a lot of connections with the guys, Lucha guys, even before they came in. Guys like Mysterio and Psychosis and Hooventude, but I started getting tapes. Like, you know, those are my dudes, El Dandy, the Viados. You know, I, I started getting really into that as a as a as a, you know, my the thing I was, you know, passionate about I started making Schneider comps. And a lot of that was digging in and finding, you know, the obscure more obscure stuff. Um so I think I was really at that point by then. So like I said, I didn't have as, as fond of memories of this match, but and... You know, with watching, watching it, you know, 30-odd, you know, 25-odd years later. 25 years? 30 years? Jesus. How old are we? Uh, John? Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, it really did, like, wow, it really connected to with me. Uh, in a way, like, you know, especially with Brett, it's like being, what a what a, what a master class this was. And just at wrestling acting. For a guy who, I, in a lot of ways, had this reputation as more of like a you know a little bit more of a bloodless technician right That's this funny. was this was him as i mean this was this period right this this i guess it was you know about a year right was this point where he became this incredible like character actor in a way that almost before that he was really known as the guy who would he was like a really... You're wrestling fan, wrestler, wrestler guy, right? You know, Like Dean Malenko, like the world's greatest Dean Malenko. When, when at this point, he really was a guy who, you know, as, as just performance-wise, matched guys like Flair and Dusty and, you know, The Rock and Randy Savage and these guys who were just... You know, Terry Funk, Jerry Lawler, like incredible performers outside of technical stuff. I don't know if he ever really before, and there obviously wasn't much after,
1: ever reached that. It's funny with Brett, though. It's like, they... It like Vince, meaning like creative. Like they almost like saw no range in him for whatever reason. Like they almost were like, Okay, you're gonna feud with John Pierre Lafitte over him stealing your jacket. Like you're gonna feud with Doink and Hakushi, we're gonna do a Lawler feud, but he's gonna be making fun of your mom and dad. It's like they almost kinda didn't see a range in him and then all of a sudden ninety seven happened and somebody woke up or like, Man, this guy's got way more to him than just being like this generic, I'm an iceman wrestler who can have a good match with anybody. This guy like, even with the Owen feud, they kind of showed a little bit of it, but then I feel like that feud could have gone on even longer and they could have done more with it and showed Brett's range. But 97, you really see it the the crybaby stuff, the him grabbing Vince stuff, him like going to choke Vince, him pushing Vince. He starts cursing a little bit. He starts saying he got screwed. You know, his facial expressions, him almost acting like a baby. But then you think about, like, no, he did get screwed. No, he is kind of right. But like, no, but he's kind of being a baby about it. Like, I don't know, the whole crybaby thing, but he's almost justified. Like, there was so much more to Brett. And then all of a sudden, it's like, oh, he's not a good promo guy. And then in 97, he was cutting the best promos of anybody in, in that year, which is crazy because. Flair and Piper are still going strong. Hogan is still there. You know, you got all these awesome promo guys, and Brett might have been the best promo guy in '97, just ripping America and praising Canada and ripping the morals and values, ripping uh, uh, Michaels for not being a good role model, ripping Austin for not being. A, I mean, it was so much different of a Bret Hart than we've ever seen before. Like, wow, this guy was there all all the time. He could have been doing this for years.
0: Yeah, I mean, it really was a very such a short period of time but like for like a one-year run that's got to be up there with some of the greatest one-year ones have ever had that Bret Hart from return to leaving because I don't think he really I mean he had some stuff in WCW there's moments but you know he didn't that was a really an underwhelming uh run in WCW
1: if you go yeah. from his the one-year run in WWF, WCW, it stinks. But if you hold, like, the WCW run and just kind of hide it on its own, like, oh, that was really good. He's still, you know, he's great, and he's having a good match with Benoit and Booker T and, and you know, and DDP and all these guys, and and, and even having good matches with Goldberg, minus Goldberg, kicking his head off, and, like, staying and stuff. But it's like, wow, you compare it to that 97 run where he's wrestling Austin, having, you know, possibly the greatest match of all time and cutting these awesome promos and having a great few matches with Undertaker and it, it's just one of those things you're like wow Like it's like a completely different guy almost because he was so damn good in 97
0: yeah this is incredible and you know and, and again I think a part of me being such a partisan I don't think I you know a lot of looking back on that stuff for this book it's like, man god he was great it's just so great and you know Austin obviously is incredible too and I think I think, you know I think Austin kind of there was a lot of rinse and repeat with him after a while. I think they just kind of had him do the same things over and over again and lost a little bit of the spark of that original run when you got a little later in the '90s and the 2000s and you know you the Vince McMahon thing was great for a while and then you know obviously drug out forever. Uh, and you know, at some point, they just kept going back to it, and back to it, and back to it. And by two thousand, two thousand one, there was oh, well, they had sort of squeezed a lot of the blood out of that stone. But you
1: know, Austin in that first period run, you know, untouchable, uh, unbelievable. It is so good. Like every step that they made during that first run, like seemed to make sense. Like Foley and Funk lose to the New Age Outlaws, but they kind of get che- cheated. Ob- well, obviously, they get cheated. They do get cheated but the crowd is chanting for Austin. So Foley cuts that awesome promo where he basically turns heel, saying the crowd was cheering for Austin. Then he becomes dude love and he hates Austin. Vince uses that against him, but but Vince is a part of the matches. They have those two awesome matches back to back on pay-per-views. Then Vince gets involved as a referee. He says he won't count three. Austin knocks out Vince. He makes Vince count three with his hand. But this whole time you're building up Undertaker and you're building up Kane. Then he has the Kane feud, then he loses the Kane, then he wins it back, and then he's still feuding with Undertaker. It was almost like they were on fire for a period there with Vince in the background, and you're dying to see Vince Austin just because you want to see Austin kick his ass. And then the Rock turns heel, so then you get Austin Rock, and then Vince is still there. I mean, like everything they did with Austin was perfect, but then all of a sudden, you're right, it got a little out of hand when they start doing the higher power. Because if they made it Jake the Snake or somebody else or even Shane Douglas was a rumor, somebody else like, all right, would have refreshed the angle. But then it's Vince again and they're doing the same exact storyline. It's like, man, you had an opportunity to change it up for Austin and do something a little different. And you kind of did the same old, same old. But, man, that first few months or six months or eight months, they were on fire. They were on such a damn roll. It's great. Yeah, for sure. And and I think this was the start of a little, you
0: know. I so I mean, be interesting. I, are you can they find it? Vince is much older now, right? And can they find something that's going to turn uh, them around creatively now? Or they or they or do they have a business model and they're just going to stick to their business model I and mean, they're still making a lot of money? Uh, even though I don't know any, a lot of people who, you know, who are wrestling fans, they can't really find it. You know, find too much interesting there. Um, and so Reigns. Be, Roman
1: Reigns is pretty much it,
0: yeah. yeah, 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 you know, you still got we'll bring in Lesnar, you know, and there's some you know, occasional things you can find in the margins that are pretty interesting, but I don't know, it's uh, it's it, 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 I think we're at the we're at they're at the they're at their uh, that point right now, uh, that they were you know, before this match where the you know, the that this match and the build to it really heated them up. So we're interested to see if they find another thing or
1: the, or that, or it's just, uh, they don't have another run in them. Almost seems like they don't even here in 97. This WrestleMania is not like a big buy rate or anything. I mean, it's not anything I mean, Undertaker and Sid as, like, the top match, that wasn't drawing. I don't think anybody was really interested in that. The original plan, I guess, was supposed to be HBK against Bret 2, really, to have it again at WrestleMania. I don't think there was any interest, really, in that. The thing that really turns around, really, is Bret Austin, and then Austin as the shining star to kind of end the show. I mean, even Bret comes back out for, for, for the main event and gets involved with Undertaker and Sid, and that's, like, you know, not really met with... People being that really interested in and in what's going on there. I mean, they started to hate Brett, but Austin really a- out of all this became the focus and was like, he, even though he lost the match and you know he's bleeding and, and you know he doesn't want the refs to help him up. I mean, that whole thing made him look like this huge hero, but it wasn't like going in people were so interested in this mania because w- WWE was like back and they were having this creative boom. This WrestleMania is not really sought after except for this match, really. Yeah, it's a great match. <laughs>
0: All right, John, let's give, give me some plugs here. You've got a whole thing. So tell me about your whole thing. Uh what you what you're what you're doing, maybe even a little bit of how you started doing it. Um but uh yeah, tell me about your your deal.
1: So it started off probably around two thousand and fifteen. So it's almost been coming up on seven years of podcasting and doing this. I used to just write, you know, huge fan forever was on all the message board stuff. I obviously, followed you on the DVD board. Um, loved Dustin of the day. I mean, I just was a huge fan, always tape trading, uh, always trying to get stuff from George Mayfield and, and and everybody else and trying to accumulate tapes and watch all the Japanese wrestling. And, and I mean, I just I just became obsessed with every part of wrestling. I was always a big WCW fan, was always a Hulkamaniac. Anything I could get my hands on, then i find Rey Mysterio, become obsessed with him, and just kind of just keeps going. You see Ben Y, you start falling in love with that style. Danielson when he was with Ring of Honor, then used to go to all the Ring of Honor shows. So eventually I started hearing podcasts like, man, I need to just do this and just, I don't know, just try to do something. With it." just obsessed and have a little bit of knowledge about it. So why don't you try to do some interviews and interview the guy? So the first guy I ever interviewed back in 2015 was Jeff Jarrett, of all people. And really, I mean, I had no background other than just you know super fan that was writing a a blog for my brother's sports website so that was the only thing to have and Jared agreed to do the interview and kind of the rest is history I got to do Dusty Rhodes's final interview ever Uh, then I got an interview with Kane and all of a sudden it just kind of snowballed from there I guess people started you know listening and maybe respecting it or respecting the the list of guys that I was able to interview and then all of a sudden, you know, the Mick Foley's of the world, Jerry Lawler, Terry Funk, Sting, Kurt Angle, Chris Jericho just started getting big names to actually come on the podcast over the uh, last six plus years. So it's been awesome. And that's. The Two Man Power Trip, and that's everything is on Twitter and Instagram at Two Man Power Trip. The website is TMPTEmpire.com. Also do a show with Tom Pritchard called Taking to School. Do a show with Kevin Sullivan where we go over WCW. And my personal favorite heyday of the NWO dominating and talk about his booking on Taskmaster Talks with Kevin Sullivan. I do a pro wrestling 101 show. We talk about a lot of the background stuff of wrestling, like stuff people don't talk about, like locking up and... and the ring gear and running the ropes, and just like to give somebody who's really wanted to learn about the business the background of the business. And I usually interview like Stevie Richards and Ben Hameen and Justin Incredible and do stuff like that, where you really try to learn the backwoods or like the the background of wrestling. And man, there's got a ton of other shows. I do a Hogan podcast. I do a show with Shane Douglas called the Triple thread Podcast. That's almost too many podcasts. There's a
0: lot of podcasts. How it, many podcasts it, it, do you do a week? And you're coming oh, okay. on mind? What, what do you even have time oh to goodness. do
1: this? <laughs> <laughs> so if I was just talking to Doctor Tom. He's like, "How many are you doing?" I was like, S- "I think six, but it's really like 10. It's probably about uh, ten a week or so. Okay. It might be too much at this point. It's just getting <laughs> it's getting out of control. Um, but yeah, I
0: can I get able to squeeze in one a week, and, uh, and then usually even then I'm like, "Oh, honey, can I? Do you mind if I go downstairs for an hour?" So.
1: <laughs> Somebody told me there's 24 hours in a day. You better do something with it. So mm-hmm. usually at night, it's usually like my when the kids and my wife are asleep, it's usually like from you know 8, 8, 8 p.m. to 1 a.m. or something like I get a crap load of time. Like, well, it's really like a crap load. It's really four or five hours to so do as much as I can each night. All
0: right. Well, I, I respect it. And obviously, uh, yeah, so people can – you mentioned how you can find that on Twitter. If they were going to listen to one pod – uh, go back and find the way they're new to you and what you do. And you had one pod that you say, this is the one,
1: what would it be? I guess it's gotta be my flagship. My weekly interview series has been going on for like, literally that's the one that's been going on for almost seven years is the two man power trip. I just call it basically the two man power trip flagship, but it's every week, um, a different interview each week. It's, I just, uh, one of those things I don't even know why, but I just love interviewing. It could be Sting, you know, one week, or it could be this week, like it was Rob Black of all people from XPW. So it, it ranges. I mean, it, it's just crazy the the amount of, of good guests I have, and I've been such a fan of all different type of wrestling. So all you know, one week could be Wendell Cooley, and then next week could be Stan Lane. One week could be Mick Foley, it could be Jericho, or it could be uh, you know an, an old one with Glacier or something. So it's just random my fanhood. It, don't, it might be too much Marky, I guess, Markism <laughs> too much of a fan of all these guys, but I just love hearing all their stories. And I feel, I think the flagship is something that everyone could like is, you know, if they like Lawler or if they like HC Loke, I mean, you, there's a whole range of guys that I've interviewed. They, they can go back and check out over 524 interviews have been done. Wow. So, so good. Good stuff from there.
0: All right. Well, John, I appreciate you uh, using some time you could be using to record one of your 72 (laughs) podcasts to come on and do my podcast. Uh, And uh, everybody will be back uh, next week with another episode of Way of the Blade.